This morning, as I was looking at the text, I realized that uh, there's many translations. There's some that are real easy to understand. And I was looking in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, verse 7 through 16, and came upon the message by Eugene Peterson. As you turn in your Bible and read with me Ephesians 4, verse 17, listen to the words of Eugene when he says, Out of the generosity of Christ, each of us is given his own gift. The text for this is he climbed the high mountain, he captured the enemy and seized the booty. He handed it all out in gifts to the people. It's true, is it not? That the one who climbed up also climbed down, down to the valley of the earth. And the one who climbed down is the one who climbed back up, up to the highest heavens. He handed out gifts above and below, filled heaven with his gifts, filled earth with his gifts. He handed out gifts of apostle, prophet, evangelist, and pastor teacher to train Christians in skilled servant work, working within Christ's body, the church until we're all moving rhythmically and easily with each other, efficient and graceful in response to God's Son, fully mature adults, fully developed within and without, fully alive like Christ. No prolonged infancies around us, please. We're not tolerant of babes in the woods, small children who are an easy mark for imposters. God wants us to grow up, to know the whole truth and to tell it in love, like Christ in everything. We take our lead from Christ, who is the source of everything we do. He keeps us in step with each other. His very breath and blood flows through us, nurturing us so that we will grow up healthy in God, robust in love. Have you ever told someone to grow up, to be mature? Hopefully it hasn't happened recently to you, but it happens, does it not? You know, many times we wonder what it means to be mature. Is it age? Is it education? Is it world experience? How is it that some get it and some never seem to obtain it? Can it be learned, bought, given, stolen? Well, Paul in this passage of Scripture begins to talk about what it is to be a mature Christian. And to be that mature Christian, he says, it's measuring up to the full statue of Christ. I don't know about you, but that's got to be a challenge for each and every one of us. So what does this maturity look like? What is it that are the very characteristics that we ought to be striving for in our Christian experience? I believe the first mark of the maturity of a Christian is stability, found there in verse 4, in which he says, no prolonged infancies amongst us. Please, we're not tol- we'll not tolerate babes in the woods, small children who are an easy mark for impostures. You know, even in the book of 1 Corinthians, he talks about not being like a child. Paul says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away childish ways. When you look at children and you look at small children, you realize that they're motivated by me. It's my food. It's my toys. It's what makes me comfortable. It's what makes me happy that takes the priority. 
On Facebook, my, one of my second cousins was writing about her infant son, and she was writing this note to her son and telling Hudson, Hudson, you know that I love you and you know that I care for you, and you know that after I feed you this morning, I'm going to quickly turn and pick up the bottle that I've already prepared for you. And there is no need for your screaming and throwing things and just throwing a tantrum because you know I'm going to feed you. I thought, well, that's an interesting thing to put on Facebook. But she was speaking about Hudson, and she was speaking about Hudson having to be attended to every instant of the time. Children are tossed to and fro. They're happy one moment and unhappy another moment. They seem to be riding this sea of uncertainty. They're insecure. You take them somewhere and they want to stand right beside you. And sometimes they grow up to the point that they'll move around in a store and they'll move other places, but they want to keep their eye on you. They just want to have that sense of security. You're not going to leave them. When I look at Christianity, I realize as Christians... God requires of us and seeks from us that stability. That stability that we're moved by the Holy Spirit of God. That we're not moved by our emotions. That we're not moved by our feelings. That we're not moved by the external things that are going on about us. But we are moved by the Holy Spirit of God. That He indwells us. That He speaks to us. That He cares for us. And He gives us that direction. He tells us there in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, verse 58, he says, Stand firm. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. We ought to be standing with confidence upon the knowledge and upon the wisdom of God's holy word. We ought to know that that which we say and that which we do is pleasing to God because it is confirmed in the word of God. But he says that security also comes in knowing the promises of God. In 2 Peter, the first chapter, verse 3, he says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and goodness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his great and precious promises so that through them ye may participate in the divine nature, escaping the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. People have attempted to go through Scripture, and they number anywhere between 3,400 and 5,000 promises. Samuel Clark, back in the 1700s, early 1700s, wrote a book attempting to list all the promises that he could find in the Word of God. Those promises are important to us because those promises build that, that safety net. They build that assurance. They give us that confidence that we can stand firm before God on the promises of God because we believe that God will keep his promises, that he will sustain his promises, that he will fulfill them in every facet of our life. Security and the, <coughs> excuse me, the maturity that comes is that the ability not to be deceived. We live in a world in which doctrines seem to flow like water that people attempt to teach us new things, that they've come upon new revelation. And God's Word continually exhorts us and encourages us to stand on the truth, to find ourselves testing those doctrines, to testing those teachings that are out there. 
that we ought to understand that there are powerful teachers out there. There are men and women that would detain us and distract us and to pull us away from the very truth of God. Even in 2 Peter, the second chapter, verse 14, he talks about religious racketeers, those that would take us and take all that we have for their own profit and that we as mature Christians ought to stand against that false teaching and false prophecy that is there before us. And so the very first mark of Christian maturity is stability. But the second mark is the mark of balance. There in verse 15, he says, God wants us to grow up to know the whole truth and to tell it in love. You know, we realize very, very quick that we understand truth. And truth can compel us to become very committed to that truth and that truth overrides everything that is about us and that we have to live by the letter of that law and that what the word says we are going to fulfill and that can be very deep, uh, very disconcerting in our life because it seems to take preeminence but he says truth is important because it convicts us we ought to know the truth about salvation. And when you know the truth about sa salvation, it brings about some very big and some very difficult conflicts in our lives. Because we as Baptists believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by Him. And so when somebody comes to us and talks about Mohammed and talks about other religions and talks about other ways to salvation, we are placed in that position either to stand up and say, this is truth as I understand it and as I accept it and as I've been led by the word of God, or we'll fall back and go, well, you know, everyone to his own. And we begin to fall into that realm of being tolerant. We begin to fall into that realm of losing the conviction and not standing for the truth of what, God, what we believe God has said to us, that he is confirmed in his word, that he is confirmed by the power of his Holy Spirit. Truth to stand. You know, we live in a world in which philosophy tells us there is no truth, that truth is simply in the eye of the beholder. Truth is simply that which you experience. But we as Christians and we as the church believe there is truth. We believe it is found in the Word of God. We believe that it is confirmed by the Spirit of God and that it is revealed in the lives of men and women that serve God and worship Him. Truth about the Word. You know, people and even theologians today would have us doubt the Word of God, would have us doubt whether it is really inspired and really whether God spoke it to his prophets and that they recorded it correctly. But we believe the word of God. We believe God instilled into the hearts and in the minds of men and men of old to translate and to inscribe the words that he led them at those particular times. We believe in the church. We believe there's truth about the church. We believe that Jesus Christ said, upon this rock I will build my church. And we believe, and I believe, that the word of God teaches us that the power and the vehicle to win the world is the church. It's not a para-religious organization. It's not someone out here doing his own thing. It is men and women working inside the vehicle and the bride of Christ and the structure that God has provided for us, the church of Jesus Christ. 
But our zeal can overcome our love, can it not? Notice 2 Corinthians, the third chapter, verse 6, in which he says, He has made us competent as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter, letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Isn't it so easy to get so caught up on rules and regulations? Isn't it so easy to get caught up with being what I call dress right dress? Isn't it so easy to get caught up with wanting people to walk in a particular way that we forget that there is love, that there is that which we ought to balance, that you can have the truth and you can be convicted by the truth and you can live by the truth, but it has to be balanced out with love, that we ought to be concerned about people, that we ought to be concerned about their pain, that we ought to be concerned about their conflict. We ought to be concerned about their addictions. We ought to be so concerned that the truth is there, but we love in spite of all that is about us. He says that love can be outbalanced by truth, that we can love so much that we water down the truth, that we can care so much emotionally and that we can care so much for relationships that we ignore the evidence that is before us. And how many times have we seen loved ones? And how many times have we seen family members? And how many times have we seen church members going down the wrong path, doing the wrong thing, disobeying God, but we cared about them and we didn't want to upset that relationship and we didn't want to bring about pain in our time together that we refuse to tell the truth. We refuse to communicate the right path. And we watch them take that journey. Love can be outweighed and it can outweigh the truth our love for the holy the things of god our love for the offenders we had a saying that said mission first people always and you know i i got to thinking about that one time because the military always goes mission you know we got to get the mission done and we really don't care about where you have to sleep we really don't care about what you have to eat we really don't care about what you have to wear because we're going to do mission well, we as the church believe in mission. We believe that we ought to be about what God has called us to do. But we believe that people are important. And that many times we have to step back and take a knee. And many times we need to step back and love people and care for people. I know a lot of preachers that absolutely refuse to conduct weddings for people that are divorced. You know, the letter of the law. They take the letter of the law and they instill the letter of the law. The Lord spoke to me real clearly one time and said, you know, when you do that, you miss an opportunity to minister to people. You can enforce the letter of the law. You can enforce and be hard-nosed about it. And you can demand certain things. But will they ever come to your church after that? Probably not. Will you ever have the opportunity to open the Word of God and share with them the Word of God? Probably not. And what's the most important thing? People sharing, connecting, loving them. So many times in the process of loving, we can share the truth. In the process of caring, we can share the truth. That we find the balance between the two. Notice the third mark. is the mark of responsive obedience. I love this term. In the message in Philippians, the second chapter, verse 12 through 13, when I read it, it just spoke so, so powerfully to me. And he says, what am I getting at, friends? This is Paul speaking. 
is that you should simply keep on doing what you're doing from the beginning. When I was living among you, you lived in responsive obedience. Now that I am separate from you, separated from you, keep it up. Better yet, redouble your efforts. Be energetic in, energetic in your life of salvation, reverent and sensitive before God. He talks about this responsive obedience. Responsive obedience that we as individuals understand that Christ is our head. In John the 14th chapter, verse 15, he says, If you love me, you will obey what I command. In other words, what he's saying is that in response to God's love, in response to his forgiveness, in response to the newness of life that he pours out upon us, in response to the gifts that he gives unto us, we do what? We obey. We adhere to his commands. We do all that we can to please him. It is a responsive obedience. And as the church, we believe what? In Corinthians, the first chapter, verse 18, and in, in the music that has been sung today, we believe that the head of the church is Jesus Christ, that it was the institute that he established, that it was the bride of Christ, and it is the people of God that he died for, that he sacrificed. And we believe that it is the church that he's coming back to bring to him as the bride of Christ. We as a church believe that all that we do ought to follow the leadership of Christ. And that's why we spend time in prayer. That's why deacons assemble and staff members assemble each Sunday morning to pray for this service. That's why the prayer room is open. That's why all of our people gather at times through Wednesday and throughout the week to pray because we as a church believe that we ought to be following the leadership of God. Not a man, not a denomination, not a philosophy or a psychology. We ought to be following Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and that we ought to be obedient to him. But the thing I found out about obedience, it's difficult. It is difficult because it's demanding. There in Matthew, the 10th chapter, verse 37, he says, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You know, we read that all the time, don't we? My dad, who's, who's been a preacher for a number of years, believes that passage of Scripture. He believes it from the top of his head to the sole of his feet. He believes it so much that if he had a choice of being with the family are being about the Lord's work, guess what he'd do? You know what his choice is? He's not coming to a family birthday party if he's going to serve the church and serve the Lord. He's not vacationing unless he's going to minister somewhere. You know, I, I couldn't take that. You know, I had a hard time with that. I'm going, Dad, we're your family. We're the ones that care for you and you care for us. But when you read this passage of Scripture, that's what he says it has to be about, isn't it? Family reunions are fulfilling my obligation to the Lord. Birthday parties are fulfilling my obligation to the Lord. I know we're getting close now, and you're getting ready to put on your, toe, your steel-toed shoes. Because it hurts, doesn't it? It hurts me when I read it. 
It hurts me when I read it because I wanted my dad there. I wanted him in the family, but he had made a commitment to God. He had sold out from the top of his head to the sole of his feet. He was committed. And because of that commitment, we as a family didn't see him as often as we wanted to. We didn't get to play as often as we wanted to. We didn't get to vacation as often as we wanted to. And as I read this passage of Scripture, he says, if I love my family more than I love God, something's wrong. Obeying God is hard, isn't it? He says also that we must trust his understanding and wisdom. Romans 11, verse 33 says, Oh, the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgment and his path beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of God? Or who has been his counselor? Who has even given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. You see, God asks us to obey him. And he asks us to obey him because not only does he know the future, not only does he know what the outcome is going to be, but he has that wisdom and he understands us as an individual. He understands us as a family. And he asks us to give what we are, to give and to obey him, to accept him as our final authority to accept him as our final authority, not upon what I feel and what I like, not upon the laws of the land, not upon the theologies that are taught in our seminaries, but I ought to obey God as the final authority of my life. I ought to be willing to give everything I have to him. It is that responsive obedience that we ought to be participating. That is the mark of that maturity. But the final mark of maturity is that of coordination. It's sort of like the church and that football team that is filled with great athletes. And I know there's not very many teams here in Alabama that understand that. Some of you don't believe that either, do you? We have some great teams, don't we? We have some teams that have athletes that are toned, They can lift tons of weight. They do it five days a week. They run miles. They exercise. They are aerobic exercises. They are stretching exercises. They are the epitome of a human body in its finest condition. And we have teams that are filled with men that have given their lives from the time that they were six, seven, eight years of age to now in their early teens and late teens and early 20s, they have given their life and soul to playing football. And they're physically fit. They are mentally awake. They're focused. The only thing they think about is football. The only thing they eat and and concerned about is football, even to the detriment of schoolwork, right? Of spending time with others. They are focused. They are directed. But they also walk around with a swagger, do they not? They have that confidence. They've worked. They've practiced. They understand the game. They understand their responsibility. And they know they're good. And they want to make sure that the other team knows they're good. And so as I look at that, I realize that the Scripture says that they're fitted together. That passage of Scripture there, 
verse 11, he says, Fill earth with his gifts. He handed out gifts of apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teacher to train Christians in skilled servant work, working within the Christ's body, within the church, until we were all moving rhythmically and easily with one another, efficient and graceful in response to God's Son, fully mature adults, fully developed, and fully alive like Christ. He says they moved rhythmically. There was a synchronization about them. Last Christmas, Jack and I went up to Nashville and saw the Rockettes. Now, I tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. I understand synchronization. I understand moving on an order. I understand dress right dress. I understand 32 inches in front of you and sides on. I understand all that. But these ladies were fantastic. I look for mistakes, okay? I looked just as hard as I can. I tried to look down those lines and make sure everybody was in line. I was looking to see who was out of step. I was looking to see someone make a mistake. I didn't see it, okay? What does it take to do that? To be fitted together, synchronized, entrusted. And you know, that's what Christ is saying about the church, is that we ought to be in step with one another, that things ought to flow as if there was no sight of mistake anywhere, that we ought to bring together the finest athletes that we ought to bring together, that God calls into this fellowship the person that we need, that that person brings that gift and that talent, that person brings that focus and that commitment, that that person brings that love for the church, and we bring it together in the church because God brings us together, and he fits us together just exactly like those Rockets are fit together, just like that football team is fit together. And what happens? Jerry, what happens? What happens when it all gets together? What happens when that tackle throws the block that he's supposed to? What happens when that running back runs through the hole? What happens when it goes right and the guy on the left is doing his job? What happens? It works, doesn't it? It works. It's as beautiful as anything you could ever imagine. And ladies and gentlemen, that's the church. That's the church. That's the people in the choir that's supposed to be in the choir. Okay? Because God's called you in talent and gave you the talents and the skills, and he's placed you in the choir. That's the person on the piano, and that's the person on the organ, that's the person on the guitar, that's the person on uh, the keyboard. That's the person as the usher. That's at the welcome desk. Whatever God has called you and given you as a talent, you ought to be as fit as you possibly can be. You ought to be as focused as you possibly can be. You ought to be as enthusiastic and committed, spirit-filled about it, so that we can all fit together. Because you see, when it all comes together, when the people of God are together where they're supposed to be, and the talent is where it's supposed to be, and the music is where it's supposed to be, and the word is where it's supposed to be, then God's Spirit fills that place. We sang about it the very first song, didn't we? How do you get there, David? David's hiding somewhere. Where's that? I lost him. There he is. How do you get there? How do you get to the place that we can say, there's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place?
it can happen. It's supposed to happen. Because you see, when the Holy Spirit of God fills this place, from top to bottom, from side to side, from pew to pew, when he fills this place, what happens? He begins to move in the pews, and he begins to move on the pulpit, and he begins to move in the choir law, and he touches people's lives. And when God Almighty, when the Holy Spirit of God touches people's lives, they are convicted, they are changed, they are renewed, and they, they feel that flood of forgiveness of the power of God in their lives. And they know with confidence they can walk around with the swagger of heaven that God has changed me. No matter what the world says, no matter what my family may say, no matter what I feel within myself, I know on the confidence of God's word, I'm redeemed, I'm forgiven, and I'm guaranteed a place in heaven. It ought to change us. It ought to move us. It ought to excite us. Because we're mature in the faith. Because you see, the true church is filled with mature adults. Fully developed within and without. Fully alive in Jesus Christ. Why don't we grow up? Well, you know, there's some Christians that have not, never grown apart. They've never grown an inch. They're satisfied with where they're at. But ladies and gentlemen, God's Word tells us that if we'll seek God and we'll seek His face, that He will move amongst us and that He will change us and that we will have the power of His might within us and we'll see Him move. We'll see him change lives. David and men and women go out to what I call the gospel rescue mission, okay? That's a hard place. Because men and women have found themselves separated from society. And most of them believe they've been separated from God. And they're broken. They're shattered with little to no hope, and God can move in that place, and God can change their lives. He can put them on a solid rock. He can give them direction, because that's what it's all about. Has your life been changed? Do you have the power of God living within you? Have you been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? He says... Paul says that Christ wants that for all of us. Fully matured, fully developed, fully living out our lives as unto Christ. Shall we pray? Father God, we thank you for these moments together. We thank you for your word and for what it means to us. And Father, many times we get caught up in the letter of the law and we forget the love. Many times we get into the love and forget the truth. But Father, today, may we as a church become that, that organism that moves in step with your word, that moves in step with your spirit, that we function in the t- with the talents and skills that you've granted unto us, and that we live our faith today 
as unto Christ and all that we say and do. Be with these moments that we encourage one another to respond unto the Spirit of God. Father, have your way. Prepare that heart. Change that life. Move amongst us even now. For this we ask in your precious name. Amen.